How's everybody? All good? You have me sharing the message this morning because my darling husband's away. He's away in North Carolina <coughs> doing an apologetics conference. So I miss him. <laughs> I don't really like having him away. So anyway, this morning it's just great to see all of you here. And my aim this morning is actually to inspire you in God's word. I've chosen it. Uh, you know, we as Christians believe something quite audacious, don't we? We believe this Bible is the word of God. I mean, how crazy is that? You know, when the world thinks, what is so special? We believe this word is inspired. So with that in mind, let us open up the word of God. You have your outlines. I've left you lots of space. Uh, so however the Lord speaks to your heart this, this morning, you can write it down there. So let's start with our first verse, which many of you know, and on the slide it says, I'll read it down here, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. I think that word God-breathed is amazing. It's like a balloon that you blow up, and I was trying to find one at my house this morning. I don't have young children anymore, there's no more balloons. And, and you know, as you blow, you're breathing into this balloon and it's inflating. That's like my life. Every morning I get up, I get my Bible, I have my cup of tea, and it's like as I read God's word, he inflates that balloon. Because when I come home, guys, it's popped. I don't know about your day, but my day, when I go to work and people, this inflation that the Lord's done, it's just... It's popped. Sometimes it's totally wrecked. <laughs> but thank goodness we have the Word of God, and that's the thing we're going to look at here this morning. So I'm going to take us through one of the beautiful book in the Bible. It's called the Book of Ruth, and I hope you'll gain some insights and be blessed in it just as much as I was. So let's have a, a look at that um, story. <clears throat> Ruth was uh, the book. A book of Ruth starts with the story of Naomi and her husband, Elamech. And this, you don't get too far into the first couple of verses, and there's a tragedy. And you get a little bit further along, and you see how God's weaving all of these circumstances into Ruth, who's um, Naomi, Ruth, Elamech, her sons, the key people in this story, God's doing something beautiful in the life of Ruth. So Ruth, and I hope you, as I said before, I was so blessed reading this book, and I hope you get just as much out of it as, as, as I have. So the story starts with Naomi, and her and her husband, Elamak, because of a famine, head down to the land of Moab. It's quite a journey. I have a map. You can put the next slide up, boys. This map's from my Bible. So where Bethlehem is, they had to journey up and around by Bethlehem and down towards Moab. It's about a 50-mile walk, which is about, depending how fit you are, seven, seven to ten days. So Naomi and her husband, Elamic, and her two sons, Mahon and Chilion. Please forgive me if I haven't said that right. I don't have a Hebrew accent. So they journeyed on down there because there was food down in the land of Moab. However, down in the land of Moab, Naomi has tragedy. 
her husband dies. I mean, crushing. You just moved to a new country and your husband dies? <sighs> Some of you would have been through that type of loss. And to make it worse, 10 years later, her two sons, Maylong and Chilion, they die. My goodness. So this woman, she's crushed, she's wounded, she's not in a good place. And as I was thinking about Naomi's loss, I, I thought, you know, what are the, the losses that we face? You know, and I just wrote a few down here. You may have the loss of a child that dies, a loss of a home. Just this week, we saw the California fires. People have lost their homes. Some people even lost their lives. What about the loss of a husband, a wife, loss of a partner, the loss of a friend? Even we have a loss through separation, divorce, loss of a country. I know when I moved to America to live there, I grieved for my country. I left this country, my home, and I grieved that loss. Maybe a loss of work, an injury that you've had, or a loss of health, a loss of dignity. If you think about it, there's quite a bit of loss, and it seems to me it doesn't matter how old you are, there can be a loss. I, I, may I share my personal story? The, my first loss came when I was um, 19 years old. I was going out with Ian, your pastor, <laughs> And we'd been going out for two years, and it was great. He was my best friend. You know, we, I really loved him. I decided that, you know, my life wouldn't be anything without him. He was amazing. So anyway, it, it came about that we broke up. We'd been going out for two years, and he broke up with me. <laughs> he actually did. But don't give him, don't think that he, that I'm too hard done by because I went out with someone else. <laughs> yep, I did. I went out with someone else, so he broke up with me. But through, actually, I was devastated, totally wounded and crushed. I know I'm smiling now, but this was the hardest time in my life that I'd come across. For two years, I'm going out with him. And then for the next year, he wasn't even in my life anymore. I can remember feeling so crushed and wounded, probably like Naomi, I can remember weeping on my bed, crying, actually angry. You haven't seen me get angry? I was angry then. I was almost pounding my pillow, thinking, God, why have you done this? You have taken the most precious thing from my life, and why, why, why? We ask why, don't we? You know, when suffering and loss happens, we ask why, and I certainly asked why. So, but anyway, through that year, God moved in my life. You know, he did something so special. He strengthened my foundation in him, he became first in my life. I think when we put our trust in other people, it can even be those that we love, when that crumbles and it's gone, God wants us to put him first and have that trust in him. So that was my outcome at the end of the year, and you'll be happy to know we got back together, <laughs> and I married him, and we've been married for 34 years. 
So God did a good thing. It was a hard thing, but it was a good thing. Anyway, let's carry on with our story. After her sons die, Naomi makes a decision to return to Bethlehem. She's now heard there's food up there. We can go there. But she goes with this attitude, the Lord's against me. I, my, life is, my, my life has changed. I don't have anything left. So on her decision, which she shares with her daughter-in-laws, Ophra and Ruth, she, I mean, she is the mother-in-law now. So she's telling her daughters-in-law, go, you can go back to your own family. You can go back to your mothers and to your homes. God's made my life better. I'm going home. You just go back to your family. You may even find another husband. So this is what this mum-in-law said. And now I'm the mother-in-law. <laughs> I know what it's like to be on this side of the fence and trying to make a relationship with your daughters-in-law is not easy because you don't know them. Like, I know my own um, sons, who I, and I've got beautiful daughters-in-law, but here's Naomi thinking that her daughters-in-law will not want to be around her anymore. They'd have a better chance without her. But isn't it in, interesting? I'm going to read you this um, statement. Ruth, who our book is all about, she has a really amazing attitude as her daughter-in-law. Ofra decides to go back and to be with her family, but this is what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. She says, let me just read it here. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. You know, you hear this at a wedding, but actually the words are between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And she said, For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And where your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die... I will die, and there I will be buried. You know, Ruth was taking a huge leap of faith. She had no idea who Naomi's God was. She only knew her own gods. She was a Moabite. They didn't worship the God of Israel. So here she was making this declaration of love and adoration. Naomi, I'm coming with you. Where you live, I'll live, and where you die, I will die, and where you lodge, I will lodge. So with that in mind, Naomi returns to Bethlehem and she enters back into her town and finds the support and the encouragement that she needs. She didn't look really happy. In fact, she said, the Lord's made my life bitter. You know, and sometimes it's so understandable and lost that God's made my life bitter. Why? Why has he done that? You know, in my season, I was lost. It was my dad and my parents that really helped me. I, I used to go home and cry on my dad's shoulder and cry, but he would pick me up again and make me a cup of tea and put his arms around me. He was my firm foundation. And just as a church, just as a family and friends, we need to be there for one another. 
God said love one another, didn't he? And that's the only way you're going to get through some of these losses and trials is by love. Naomi found it, didn't change her situation that she lost her husband and she lost her sons, but people cared and they gathered round. Naomi still felt depressed. And you do, don't you? When you experience loss, you can feel that depression. I know when Anne broke off me, I was working as a nurse at Green Lane Hospital and I actually lost a lot of weight. I lost about a stone. Very, very skinny. And I remember the first few days when he left, I felt like my heart was bleeding. Physically bleeding, like you could feel it inside my chest. And as the months went on, I really tried to get into the Word of God, and His Word did help, my father helped. But there was one night I was driving home, and going back home from Green Lane to Howard, and I thought, you know, I could just end it. I could just hit that pole, and I could just end it. It goes through your mind, and it went through my mind. That's it. What have I got to live for? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do that. But it just God shows me, when I read this book of Ruth, God shows us people have trouble, they have despair, they have trauma in their hearts and their minds, that if they're not lifted out, it'll crush them, it'll break them. Stuff in life will break you. Anyway, these stories not over yet. But however, the story goes wrong, it goes along. Ruth has a different attitude. I don't know whether how deeply the grief of her husband touched her, but as soon as she got to Bethlehem, she just gets up and she has a different attitude, a responsible attitude. She thinks, well, we're going to starve, so I better go out and do some work. She just did what was in front of her. Didn't have an angel appear or some voice from heaven. She just got up and got a job. And her job was pretty basic. It was gleaning in the fields. In those days, the people were commanded, the people of God were commanded that if you had a field, if, if you're a landowner, you were to leave the edges of the field for the poor. That was the way they made their income. So if you were poor, you still didn't starve because you could go and work in the field and pick up the barley and the grain. So this is what Ruth did. She, had, she saw that in order to live, she, there was a task in front of her and she just got on with that. And then she happens to be working in a field by the name of Boaz. Naomi had already told her about Boaz. He was a wealthy landowner. And as Naomi worked, this landowner, Boaz, who was actually a next of kin to Naomi, noticed her. So the story starts to take a bit of an upturn. After all the sorrow and loss and crush, some good things are starting to happen. He actually heard about Ruth he heard that she'd come with her mother-in-law, Naomi. He heard that Naomi's life had been made bitter by her loss. But Boab goes up to Ruth. He introduces himself and they have a chat. And then he actually speaks to her and this statement struck me. Boaz summed up what Ruth had done. He said, you know, Ruth, your kindness and your compassion towards your mother-in-law, everybody's talking about it. 
You know what gossip's like. <laughs> Everybody's talking about something. The town had been talking about Naomi and what had happened to her. Better than social media. You reckon Facebook is good? You lived back then. <laughs> People talked. But Boaz said to Ruth, and he upped the level of what had happened. He took it to the next level in summing up what Ruth had done. He said, Ruth, you've taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. That's what you've done, and that's what I had to do in my life in my time of trouble and sorrow. Take refuge. Where are you going to take refuge? Take it, my my um, suggestion, take it under the wings of the God of the Most High. He's worthy. He will keep you safe. So that's what I learned to do in my times of loss. It took me a whole year. It wasn't a quick fix. It took a whole year of taking refuge, of thinking on things that were right. Because if I didn't think on the right things, I'd be depressed. I'd lose hope. So I took that scripture to heart that talks about think on these things. Think on the things that are worthy, the things that are good, the things of good re repute, the things that are peaceful. And I used to think, what's that? <laughs> I don't have ends, so nothing's good, right? <laughs> we think these things when we're young. If we don't have something, everything else has gone to hell in a basket. But no, I had the Lord, and I used to think about my parents. I used to think, my parents are good. My sister's good, and my God is good. I had to force my mind to think that, so possibly that may help you if you're going through that time of loss as well. I really admire Ruth because in her, Ruth and her loss didn't really know the God of Israel. She took a risk, but she was open to find out. Ruth was a woman of compassion and integrity and honor for her mum in law. She was willing to serve. Boaz, another person in this story, a man who reframed the situation. He reframed it. Ruth, you're taking refuge under the wings of the Lord Almighty. You know, we can reframe our circumstances. May I suggest you reach up here, not down here. Reframe it. God's word will transform your life. It's transformed mine. It can do it for you too. God's word, can, it has teaching that gives us a fresh purpose and strength. You know, when, I, when we read in the New Testament, in, in the book of James, James sets out to reframe the meaning of our trials and troubles. He has the audacity to say, count it all joy. Count it pure joy. You have got to be kidding <laughs> You know, when you have a trial or a trouble, you don't count it joy. It's something we need to learn. It's something we need to, to experience. We need to work at it like the Bill Hybels video was building a muscle. So why on earth, James, do we count it all joy? Why? Well, you may not like the reason, but this is the bottom line. To build perseverance, to build endurance, to make you mature, to have a godly character, a mature character, that is joy. When your character is ma mature, you can persevere. That's a state of joy. That is joy. And that's a good enough reason that James thought that we can 
have joy in our trials. So Boaz had a different expectation. Ruth, you've taken shelter under the wings of the Most High God. God's working in your life. He's working in my life. It was a terrible year. I hated that year. I think afterwards I had post-traumatic stress disorder. Because when I married your pastor, I used to wake up and have a dream that he was leaving me. <laughs> anyway, that's the truth. Don't tell him anything that I've said here, all right? When he comes back, you know nothing. As my children said, we know nothing. <laughs> okay. So the story continues. Ruth is respectful. She's grateful. She's, 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 um, she's happy to be working. She can't believe God's led her to this field. And Boaz is her next of kin. Now, it was customary in those days. When you read the Bible, take my word for it, you'll find some strange stuff. I'm just warning you now. Because back in those days... If a wife lost her husband, he died. It was the job of the brother to marry the widow. Not good. <laughs> Some of you may think that's good, other cases not. And it was his job to procreate and provide a child for his brother. Cheaper than IVF, but um, that's the way they did it then. I can't say I really am into that, but there's cultural, that was the cultural of the day. So. Boaz has this opportunity as the next of kin. They actually call him a kingsman redeemer. Sounds a bit of a fancy word, but it's just he's the next of kin. In those days, next of kin just had res responsibilities. Just like we do, we have responsibility to our cousins, our nephews, and our families. So he just did what was in front of him. He took his responsibility seriously. He um, negotiated with the elders at the gate. He gave the opportunity to another relative, but who declined the opportunity. And Boaz, a man of integrity, a man to know what was right, took Ruth to be his wife. And, and in those days, the children were valued. The whole thing for a woman to be a widow was that She'd never have children. So Boaz brought new hope. He brought new life into the whole situation. Isn't it true? Sometimes the people in our lives, your mother, your father, your church people, your friends here, can turn something around and help you to have that new life. Boaz was doing the ordinary. And sometimes in our life, it's just the simple stuff. I think, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Well, do what's in front of you. Do the responsible thing. And at times, doing the responsible thing is hard, isn't it? I don't want to do that. That's a bit mundane. That's a bit boring. But really, the essence of our Christianity is to do the simple, to love. And that's all Boaz did. That's all Ruth did. She loved her mother. Boaz made a decision to love Ruth. So Boaz... Bye. Boaz buys the land and takes Ruth as his wife. And as I said, there was no special dreams, special revelations, words from God. You, you can get that. I've personally never seen an angel. I probably would like to see one. <laughs> I'd probably fall over and faint. But, you know, God's word is quite adequate, in fact, 
to lead us into all he has for us. So as Ruth actioned her ethic, as she did what she could, she found love. You know, my observation is, and possibly it's yours, we receive both sunshine and rain in our lives. True? You receive sunshine and rain. In fact, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Community Church, he said life is like a train track, parallel lines. You have to manage the blessings and the problems and the challenges at once. It's apparent. I thought that was pretty good. And I think Job, in the Old Testament, he actually had it right. He said, the Lord giveth. Do you know what comes next? The Lord taketh away. That's the truth. That's the bottom line. And you know, there's a simple blessing in just walking in what we know. There's joy in in reframing our situation to God's building perseverance, God's building endurance. He's making me mature. He's making me as holy. This isn't an irksome thing. This is a joyful thing. I've personally found that to be true in my own life. Slide three. So this is my support network on the next slide. Get the boys to put... This is my family as it stands. It's growing. Not just Ian and I as 19 and 20-year-olds. That's my dad in the middle beside me. He was the one that supported me a lot back then. And, you know, it's a privilege to have a family, a community, a church that are there for you. You know, they may not be able to change it. But when you suffer loss, you suffer questions, why? Turn to those that care for you. Turn to those that love you. So in, in my experience, the Word of God is, is amazing. It is full of teaching that will bless your life. And while it's true that situations arise that are painful, that are crushing, God promises, and this is my last slide here, God promises all we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That is an incredible hope. All things work together for good. But I looked at the other part of the verse, which we don't often quote, who have been called according to his purpose. Well, what is, what is God's purpose? His purpose is amazing. His purpose is to give you a hope, is to give you a future. What is God's purpose? And I've written this down, and it says, his purpose is to offer us Jesus. You know, God offers Jesus as a saviour, Jesus, he will save us from God's anger against us because we have sinned. What is sin? It's the lies, it's the slander, it's the anger, it's the dissension, it's the crime, adultery, theft. Sin inhabits us like you get a corrupt um, problem with your computer. Sin is corruption within us. Take it seriously, it'll wreck your life. Sin is a terrible, destructive thing that plagues us all. But the joyful news is, God in his love came to deal with that. 
God forgives us on the platform that sin, all sin, my sin is forgiven because of a payment of one who loves us and died for all sin. Sin rightly deserves payment. For goodness sake, it does deserve a payment. What about the drunk driver who kills your kid? Someone should pay, right? So sin is something that God is against and he demanded a payment. And he loved us so much, he said, I'll send my son, he'll pay it, you're free. Sin's been paid for, justice done at the cross. You can choose to forgive on that platform. You know, you can choose to forgive on a lot of platforms. If you listen to psychotherapists, they'll say, forgive, because it's good for you. You know, if you don't forgive, it's like poison running through your veins. You know, you just live in this bitterness like a bitter old woman. But actually, there's a different platform. This is where the gospel is incredible because we forgive on the platform that God's Son has paid our sin. You can forgive others because Jesus has paid for their sin too. And when you really think about it, that's an incredible thing. There's a reason why I can forgive and you can forgive me. Jesus forgives me. I can forgive you because Jesus paid for your sin too. You're not the only, I mean, I'm not the only jerk around here, so are you. You know, he can forgive us because we see ourselves as people who are corrupt, who are in desperate need of somebody to help me. So justice done, no more guilt. This is the marvellous thing about the gospel. I meet occasionally people at work who've come in and they've said, I I want to commit, my life isn't worth, worth it. I've, I've done some stuff. I've done this and I've done this. I feel so guilty. I want to end it. I've got a suicide kid at home and I want to end it. And do you know why he wanted to end it? Because of guilt. Well, that's the wonderful thing of the gospel. Don't feel guilty. Your sins are forgiven. You, for, you can walk out that door guilt-free. It's done. You are let off. Nobody's going to write you up in the work report, mention the incident at work, send a complaint letter. No, no, this is the amazing thing about the gospel is that your guilt is forgiven. It's gone. Leave our guilt at the door. So what have we got? What's God's purpose for us? To be reconciled, reconciled through repentance old-fashioned word, but repentance is a beautiful word. I'm sorry. When you say that you're sorry to God for your sins, it brings restoration to God. But it's not just a God. It's God, your Father, your Father in heaven. Just like my dad was a father to me, and I was pretty lucky to have a dad like him. You have a heavenly Father that you can be reconciled to. He's always with you. You know, reconciliation works miracles. It restores communities, restores marriages, restores nations. At the cross, justice done. So salvation is God's purpose. That's the second part of the verse. His purpose is salvation. It's redemption. It's transformation. You know, if you feel lonely here today, and I know what it's like to feel lonely, that year we were were apart, I felt lonely. You know, but... You are adopted. I have a daughter. She's adopted a Ugandan baby girl. They want her. God wants 
you. If you think that no one's there for me, no one loves me, it's rubbish. God of the universe, God who created it, loves you. He adopted you. You just don't have your nuclear family. You have a massive family, his family. Last of all, his purpose is that you have eternal life. This ain't all there is down here. <laughs> okay, so when you feel that depression, that despair, that hopelessness, there's an eternity. That's pretty good news. You can hold on to that. So God can use all things, your and mine, our botch-ups, our tragedies, to work for good, even when the things themselves are not good. There's not good in a lot of situations. That's the truth, isn't it? Things are not good, but God can use them all for good. So may I suggest, if you haven't already done so, to take God's purpose for your life. Be transformed. Live it. Live everything you have for God's purposes. Have some of those attitudes. Do the simple things that Naomi did. I mean, that Ruth and Boaz did. Live a life with the energy that God gives you in front of you. I desperately need a saviour, and over these years in my life, I've realised it more and more. It's good news. If you've received the saviour, Jesus Christ, you've got good things ahead of you. It's all good news. God's working in your life. Thank you for listening.